Hello, welcome to Never Not Creative. This is season two, episode 14. I'm Andy Wright. And I'm Sarah Nguyen. And we are in a prestigious location. We've been walking around sandstone buildings um, this morning. We've been making a few Hogwarts jokes. And we have a special rideshare for broomsticks and um, stuff around here as well. But we are at the University of Sydney with Professor David Allay. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. Sarah? Would you like to explain, first of all, because we don't normally have professors on the podcast, um, what you do here and your kind of the, the reason that you're field of interest is kind of into n- neuroscience and kind of what got you there in the first place. Sure, Andy. Well, I'm a professor here in the psychology department at uh, the University of Sydney. Um, traditionally, I've been interested actually in sensory processes, so vision uh, and sound, uh, and how we, so how we construct our vision of the world in our heads. I mean, all the, what's out there is actually all represented in our brains, in our head, and how does that happen? It's one of the, I suppose, the miracles of the brain, that we can actually look out and perceive a world so vividly and so real. Um, one of the things I've been interested in is ambiguity. And so, cause, because there's actually a surprising amount of guesswork and interpretation the brain does in trying to figure out what it's seeing out there. So ambiguity has been an interesting thing for me. And out of that's come an interest, I suppose, in creativity and, and ambiguity in art. And then more recently, um, I discovered some work quite recent neuroscience work, really actually surprising work, where we discovered for the first time this thing called the default mode network, which is a kind of creativity network, which was kind of discovered almost by accident or just a decade or so ago. And that's totally uh, fascinated me now. So I, I, I do a lot of research on on that uh, aspect, that sort of creative aspect of the mind. Tell us more about this default mode. And um, I think I've read a bit about what you do and different things kinds of thinking modes that you've mm-hmm. explored. Can you explain it? Ex- sure. Explore that? Most of us when we're at work, for example, doing a task, we're using our consciously trained minds, we're focusing on tasks, and that's called our uh, executive attention network. Um, not just at work, at home, if you're cooking a meal or something, whenever you're doing some external task, then you recruit a bunch of brain areas to help you focus on that. And then we've discovered that this is other brain network that actually only activates when you're disengaged from tasks and your sort of mind wanders. And um, if, you, if you're relaxed and, and uh, able to, to switch off from, from work or tasks, a different style of thinking takes over and it's a divergent kind of thinking. You make a lot of long-range associations between ideas. So it's actually, and that's essentially creativity, right? Finding links between things. And so this divergent thinking, which is what an experimental psychologist would call it, is really just creativity, finding sort of lateral links, links at a longer range than most people would think of in their linear sort of logical minds. And you mentioned ambiguity at the beginning there, which I feel like in our industry we have to deal with ambiguity quite a lot. But actually that's a good thing, I guess, for for creativity, right? Ambiguity is good and bad. A lot of people, of course, are quite intimidated by ambiguity. So we have this sort of uh, bias for familiarity and certainty. We want to know the answer. And it can actually be for some people quite um, confronting or quite sort of an anxiety-producing moment when things are ambiguous. We're so trained to to know the answer and, and have the process at our fingertips. But, of course, those that work in, in, in art and creativity and design know that ambiguity is a really a beautiful thing. 
and um, and when it works well, that's what makes us connect with art, for example, you know, or any kind of design or advertisement, whatever it is. Um, when you look at it and it makes you look twice, what am I seeing? And you, oh, no, I'm not seeing that. What is it? I mean, that's what makes art effective, I think, because people, in, that gets them to engage. But um, it's also something that scares people because they, they want to know the answers. So because we're, we're sort of trained to um, and be on top of things, be in charge. And there's this familiarity, sort of uh, certainty preference that we all have. And ambiguity, uncertainty is actually the uh, kind of unknown. And that's intimidating to a lot of people who aren't used to it. But uh, what I find interesting about that is the, the fact that um, ambiguity would beget interpretation and, all, and that's how, like you were saying, with that's how art works. It's, it's how we all might look at something and take away something different. Yeah, that's what's great about art, right? And people can, the, the, the best art can be really ambiguous and, and you can be walking through a gallery with friends and, and you will have different interpretations of the, of the same, same art. But um, it, it is... I mean, beyond art, so it, it works great for art, but then ambiguities in life more generally can be really intimidating because it turns out that people uh, would prefer, for example, as experiment showing, people prefer a known threat, a known danger to an unknown possible threat. So they've done experiments where they give people a situation, you know, you can turn over this, um, this, say, this, this lid and inside might be something scary or maybe not. Whereas if you open this lid, there will be something scary. And actually, people are more anxious about opening the unknown than yeah. the known threat. So uncertainty is something that people don't like. It makes us anxious. And of course, once we're anxious, we're, we're not able to relax and, and enter that sort of creative mindset. So, so there's two things I'd like to explore around that. Because there's, on one side, you know, unfortunately, as much as I'm sure many people listening to this podcast might like to be artists, there is a commercial element to the work that they have to do and on one side there might be some people that are kind of more comfortable with ambiguity and being creative but actually on the other side there is absolute certainty needed knowing that what they're paying for is going to deliver results so that that's one part like how do you what is the best way to try and resolve this sort of opposing dynamic that exists that often exists between clients and creatives actually yeah well Andy I think you've hit on a, a major issue there a major point of tension because anyone who works creatively knows that it you can't just do it it's not on tap it's not something you just turn on and off um, and that can clash with you know the business imperatives clients want a product and they want it by a certain deadline um, and it, it's really hard to be creative within those time pressures and those constraints so I mean the whole process is is not well understood I don't actually know what the answers are but I, I think slowly the industry maybe needs to do a little more to try and educate their clients that you know, we just can't turn on our creativity and have it ready at 6 p.m. tomorrow. Like so, things like um, you know, because that that makes you anxious. And then if you if if you're anxious, w w one of the things that happens when you're in an anxious state is your your sympathetic nervous system gets active. You really stress uh, uh, hormones, cortisol, and so forth. And a part of your brain called the amygdala, which monitors the external world for threats. Uh, becomes active and suddenly you're really externally driven mm. and you monitor you can't settle down and put your head down and create because you're you're in this sort of threatened state so then you're vigilant to the outside but you need to be vigilant to the inner world if you're going to create your DMN needs to activate and it will only activate if you are 
sort of calm and relaxed and de-stressed. So time pressure and anxiety, all of that is just totally counterproductive. And then we've got poor creatives trying to, you know, simultaneously be creative and work to the time pressure. It's just a conflict that's never going to work in the long run. So given that it's, it's kind of everything's working against us, what can we do to try and foster um, better conditions for ourselves on that internal level for that divergent mode of thinking? Well, I, I guess to some extent we need, people need to take responsibility for themselves. So, I mean, it's, 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 we can do that. That's something you can do is change your own, I suppose, work-life balance and, and make a priority your own well-being so that you're, you're sleeping well, you're eating well. And you're doing things that relax you, like mindfulness of uh, exercises uh, are actually very, very beneficial. Um, but but it can be lots of things, uh, exercise and just you know just time away. Even you know even little things can help you um, uh, activate your sort of uh, divergent your DMN mindset. So you can walk out of the office and go for a walk, look at the clouds or the trees blowing in the wind. Actually, the, the DMN loves the natural environment, and breaks in routine. So even if you might be in the habit every day of going outside and getting a coffee, it's nice to have a break away from your desk, but maybe don't go to the same bar every time. Maybe walk two extra blocks one day and just look and see what you see and your mind will switch off and drift and maybe you'll come back to work with a, f with a few more insights. I mean, a lot of people have had that um, experience of, of maybe they've worked really hard and haven't been able to crack something and late in the day they go home and they're sitting in the bus or walking home and suddenly the insight comes to them. So sometimes you do have to let go to have the insight and let your mind relax. And I guess, you know, to your previous question about what can we do, I suppose, in the workplace to try and, you know, there needs to be some understanding that all that sort of downtime apparently of mind wandering and, and not actually being productive is actually not downtime. It's really uptime for another part of your brain, this creative part of your brain, and that's really important. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think we <coughs> we work in an industry which is so time driven, as you kind of as you kind of mentioned, and we build by the hour. And it's almost impossible in some cases. It's almost impossible to go well. Actually, to come up with that idea is going to take this amount of time. But there are also, I think, some businesses that operate on this kind of: if you're not at your computer, you're not working. Mm. And I think some people feel like that. They feel like they're not productive. It, is there a because I feel like what you're saying actually isn't that new, right? Like we've been talking about this for a while, um, but there are still some business owners that see that the productive hours are the hours spent at a computer. How do we start having conversations around going, actually, if anything, especially in the creative world, the hours that you spend away from your computer are even more valuable? Yeah, it, it can be surprising. I mean, business are obviously driven by a bottom line in the end, I suppose, dollars and cents. But there are some all sorts of surprising findings out there. I mean, as you say, you know, time away can lead to tremendous insights. And in a creative industry, that should be the number one, you know, capital resource, right? Uh, your creative insights. So, but, but you know, simple things like, uh, you know, resting at work. I mean, there's been studies done that show that people that have a nap at work actually are more productive through the rest of the afternoon than those that don't. And yet, if you were found with your head down asleep on the table after lunch, you know, you'd probably get yelled at by your boss. So, but actually, w we can be very, we can be more productive after a nap. We can be more productive after time out to let our mind wander. And, and, and creativity is really the number one thing. I mean, that's what distinguishes 
good businesses from bad businesses, even outside the creative sector. And of course, it's totally central in creativity. So, you know, we need to, I suppose, individually, we can all take a little more responsibility, but then I guess companies need to start thinking, how can we, you know, I suppose, cut some slack? Well, it's not even slack, it's just being real about this is how it works. Like, how can we make our, give our staff a, a bit of time off, a bit of, I don't know, just be appreciative of the whole creative process, that you've got to switch between focused hard work to churn out a really good product, but there's also this sort of free-flowing creative state that's really important too. And you've got to cycle back and forwards between you know, being creative and then churning through the, the many iterations of the product to get it just right. And sometimes you've got to go back and create again and drift off. And, and I guess that's not really understood. We had, a, we had an idea at my old business, which was to start every project with a week away up the in the mountains in an Airbnb. <laughs> and just, in fact, we had it recently as well. We were like, oh, why don't we just go and get a villa in Bali for the week? We can still work, but it's just a different place, you know? So we well, we'll still work through the day and then we can still go out at night. And like surely those things, even if you built them into the cost or the fees for a project, all right, there's an education bit on the other side, which is the client thinks you're taking the piss with their budget. Yeah. But actually, you are potentially developing even more value for them. Yeah. I know it, it, sounds, it does sound crazy, but actually, if that leads to more creative product and that's the centerpiece of your industry, you know, then that's, that's got to be something to, to think about. You, know? you talked about the other mode of work as mm. well, which was sort of more focused, executional, actually sort of the hard yards part of it. How do you, how does a, a creative switch in between these modes? Is, it, is there anything we can do to control it? Because I find that sometimes I'm just more naturally ready to focus and kind of nut things out. And other times it's a mind wandering idea generation. But I don't know that I have that much control over when I'm in one mode of mm -hmm. thinking or the next. Yeah. Well, the thing is, the, the mind cycles in and out of this logical convergent thinking and then this drifting divergent thinking all the time. It's in and out of that. And in fact, um, there's some surprising data came out recently uh, from a massive study. These guys created an app and people downloaded it from the app store and it was in your pocket on your phone and once several times a day you were pinged and you grabbed the phone and you were just quickly quizzed on what are you doing, you know, how focused are you on a scale of one to five. It turned out that uh, 46% and hundreds of thousands of people had downloaded this app and been pinged over months and months. So a massive data set and 46% of the time people were not focused on what they were doing when <laughs> they were pinged. Yeah. All right. So mind wandering is a reality. We are, and this goes to your point, Andy, like can, should we just go somewhere else? Yeah. Well, you know, if we're spending 46% of our time in our office not focused on our task, well, that's yeah. got to be better maybe going to Bali, you know. So that's, we've got to be realistic about things <laughs> like that, that we do wander. And your point about how do we control it, so mind one, this is, this is where it gets interesting, because mind wandering can be destructive and negative as well, and you get rumination and negative thoughts. That's more likely to happen when you're stressed, anxious, time pressured, and you're starting to feel, am I good enough, I'm not cracking this, it needs to be ready by tomorrow afternoon. You know, you know, and then you get all this negative sort of mind wandering, because your mind will wander, it wanders you know, 46% of the time. So you need to make sure that wandering uh, is positive and, and things that help you there are being in, in a good state of mind, being relaxed, being rested, doing things like your, your yoga, your exercise or your mindfulness or whatever. I mean, mindfulness is, is amazingly helpful because it, um, 
it's, it's not just relaxing and closing your eyes. It actually changes important parts of your brain that help you focus. So people who practice mindfulness, e even studies of short, you know, eight-week programs show that people are, are much better at concentrating after eight weeks of working on mindfulness. So you can go into a restful kind of state that'll promote that default mode, that divergent thinking, and come back and be more focused afterwards. Um, we were talking outside how both Andy and I are not great at mindfulness. I mean, I have tried it and it's been, I, I probably haven't tried it enough. <laughs> Andy said the first time you've tried it, but you were driving, which they say. <laughs> you I just wanted to hear what it was like. Yeah. But, but that's not really trying it, is it? <laughs> no. <Are there> well, <laughs> look, mindfulness has got a funny rap. Some people think it's just weird and something a bit off the wall and some eastern mysticism you know lotus position and chanting sort of you That's know i mean i grew up in a buddhist household so it's actually not that foreign to me um I yeah, didn't, and it's, it. <laughs> and it's massively foreign to me. I just can't imagine, like, so that's why I listen to yeah. it in the car on the way to the airport, I think, <laughs> just to go, oh, what is this? And then it's like, oh, yeah, it's what I thought it was. And I, so I find it quite hard, whereas we were saying, like, your mindfulness would be to do a crossword at night and my, every night, and my mindfulness is like, is mindlessness almost in the, okay, let's watch Con Air again, you know? <laughs> is it different is, for does people? That, does that count? Um, look, yes and no. Um, <laughs> so, so let's talk about mindfulness then. It is a weird concept and there's a lot of resistance to it out there, right? And, and um, although that's starting to change. So, I mean, so you spoke about your experiences. Mine also, um, when I was first put on to mindfulness and I, I just thought, this is lame, this is not <laughs> going to work. I'm just going to shut my eyes for 20 minutes and I'm going to feel better, right? Um, Actually, it does work if you do it properly. And, of course, the thing is you, you do it regularly and you, you notice a lot of changes. You, you notice, first of all, that it, one of its known benefits is you, you become a better focuser on tasks. So you go back to your, you know, logical task-oriented thing, you know, honing that product, whatever it is, and you can concentrate longer and better because mm. it strengthens a part of your... Uh, prefrontal cortex that's actually a part of this task-focused network because mindfulness is actually about practicing control and focus you focus just on your breath and you've got to hold your mind there and if it wanders off you've got to slowly bring it back to the breath and you think mm, you know that seems a bit simplistic and weird but actually you're practicing mind control mind focus in the process you're also decluttering your mind because you end up focusing so much on your breathing that everything else slips out of your mind and so you, you declutter your mind and you're more responsive to, I suppose, hearing uh, the voice of the DMN. The DMN sort of speaks with a quiet voice. And when you're hectic and your life's cluttered, you just don't hear those little voices, you know, that, that insights that can come. Um, you might early in the morning when you wake up, you know, or something like that. But as soon as you get busy, it tends to shut it down and, and, and drown it out. So um, it quietens your mind, declutters your mind, and that's great um, for hearing those insights. But it improves your focus. And that's absolutely important. And it's also, and this is very important, a way of gaining control over your emotions or a better regulating emotions. So if you're having negative ruminations, if you find your mind wandering but it's always to some negative topic, topic um, then mindfulness is a way of sort of detaching from emotions. You can kind of go into your mindfulness exercise feeling you know, tense and negative and worried 
and you find that all that slips away when you're sitting there doing your, your exercise and, and you sort of know, yeah, I was stressed and I was worried or, or depressed or whatever it was, but I've sort of detached from it now and I can acknowledge that it's there and now get back and concentrate. And you, you th there's this pathway between um, the amygdala, which is a, um, a part of the brain that monitors, you know, when we're, we're anxious and worried, uh, that's sort of alert for external threats. There's a pathway from this prefrontal cortex that gets strengthened down to that that sort of controls, keeps the lid on that. Mm -hmm. So it, it really helps you regulate emotions so when you're stressed and feeling negative. So your mind wandering ends up being more positive yeah. and more creative, more, more constructive. That's good. That's, that was quite convincing. <laughs> uh, <Good. laughs> well, and, and I can say from my own personal experience, as a neuroscientist, the last thing I thought I'd be doing was <laughs> mindfulness. <laughs> but I did try it. And then it actually prompted me, being a scientist, to read all the literature. There are enormous number of studies, very convincing studies, showing the brain changes in important ways after just a few weeks of mindfulness. And then I tried it, and personally, it worked, and the science showed me it worked, so I was convinced on both fronts in the end. So anyone listening by now would know that being in front of your computer isn't necessarily going to be the most productive time for creativity that we need to get out more, that we need to start letting our minds wander, clearing our minds a lot more. But we are then pulled back to this business model which sells creativity. And that in some way we have to kind of be accountable for our creative time or our creativity. Have you, have you seen anything, have you read anything, have you thought anything around this subject of like, how can we? How can you turn this kind of practice into something that actually has a great commercial outcome for a business? I, I suspect that change here will come slowly, but it can come definitely. So I think that if if companies are being uh, in, in, informed about you know this fundamental nature of how the mind works, it, it will flip in and out of these modes of thinking, a sort of logical convergent style and this drifting divergent that they're both important that actually the creative insights probably come in the divergent moments uh, the more they're they're made aware of this so there's a, a slow process of education here i mean change won't come overnight but i think that uh, there is a growing awareness so we're talking about mindfulness before a lot of corporations now are realizing that well-being and health including mindfulness are important parts of productivity so it, it it's a slow change but I think it it is moving through and perhaps you know uh, the industry could be a little more proactive in in getting in some expertise there to to talk to these companies and try and change them but it's not a lost cause it can happen and I think there's a, a, a drift in that direction yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the work that we've been focused on recently so we've talked you talked about all the kind of positive stuff here but a lot of the work we've been focusing on is obviously anxiety and depression. And, you know, th even this week, actually, we're running an event on burnout, um, <coughs> which obviously are kind of sat at the other end of the spectrum when it comes to things that could improve your creativity. Actually, they kill your creativity. Uh, do you, can you explain kind of in layman's terms the way that, you know, anxiety, depression, burnout are going to kill our creativity and what's important to kind of manage that, that better? Yeah, y y you're spot on. Anxiety and depression will crush creativity. Um, the creative process is basically an inner process. That you, you, it's this self-generated, creative, free-flowing thing that this DMN network lies at the heart of that. And if you don't feel safe 
and well and you know uh, in an environment where you can switch off and go into your inner mind then you're really not going to create and so as, as I mentioned before uh, when you're stressed when you're anxious then you're really being externally driven you're, you're worried about external demands and threats and what have you and pressures and that's that's the opposite of what we want we want you being inward focused not outward focused so anxiety makes you really anxious and externally focused and this structure i called the mentioned before the amygdala gets gets alert and and sort of takes over so, so that stops you from focusing inwardly and being creative um and then when when people are feeling down and and depressed then that interferes with the hard work side of it because all creatives know you know you have a great idea in your head but you've got to get it out and hone it and go through multiple versions and iterate that in and that's the hard work stage and that takes a lot of energy and if you're depressed then you're not you don't have the energy to tackle that that process of just refining and reiterating and making it better and better so if we are if we are in those either anxious or depressed states and we actually can't move forward with the tasks we're given do you have any sort of first aid tips for what to do when you're facing a situation like that? Um, that's a kind of a difficult question. I guess people need to, first of all, recognise the signs. Am I anxious or am I feeling down? Well, I, I guess if, if you recognise that, then, y you know, and that's related to work, right? Yeah. I mean, often. So you, you're feeling down and anxious because you're not getting your work done recognizing that that the solution to that is slowing down getting into a into a good space yep. that means taking time out that means maybe exercising maybe um you know taking a couple of hours off and leaving the office with, with your notepad and pen and get away from the computer and just wander and jot down thoughts because random thoughts will come to your mind and get them out sometimes that jotting down of random thoughts is really just skimming off a top layer of thoughts and worries yep. that come mm. first and once they're jotted down, sometimes, oh, then the real issues and insights can come through. And we were saying before, companies could be more proactive on this, but as individuals, we've got to recognise, yeah, I do feel stressed, I am feeling down and sort of lacking energy f about this project. I'll get out and try and do something for myself around relaxing and just decluttering my mind. If you don't like mindfulness, try the pen and paper thing and jot down all those thoughts. And, and I hopefully think you've convinced us to try it again, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I do advocate it, although it, yeah. it does seem a bit weird at first. And, oh, and yeah. the hard thing about mindfulness, they're often guided meditations with a voice, and, yeah. and you can never find the voice and the accent that you like. Some of them are just jarring and don't relax you at all. Which one's your favourite? Um, there's a fellow with a Scottish accent. Is that and Andrew Johnson? No, oh, it's a different a, I've guy. I've got a Scott that I've got on okay. my <laughs> <laughs> and it's ve it's very calming. His Scottish accent yeah. is actually quite. Well, the guy that I listen to is a guy called Bodhi Paxa. Okay. And he has a, a bunch of uh, meditations. One's called Meditations for Busy People. Mm -hmm. And um, I listen to him. I find his voice rather calming. I I tend not to find the North American accents calming. So yeah. I I found his I found it slightly odd at first, but then I thought, oh, this is really quite peaceful and good. So. You got to you got to shop around and find someone that you like. That's true. Yeah. That's like audiobooks. I've I've found myself recently rather than looking at the content of the book, looking at who the narrator is. And there's this guy called Jared Doyle who um, this is not a mindfulness book. This is actually quite a brutal and graphic uh, Irish IRA detective book. 
Um, but Jared Doyle's voice is the voice that I now I've now read uh, three other books on Audible by different authors, but all narrated by Jared Doyle, and that that voice makes a big big difference. Yeah, definitely does. And um, actually, speaking of audio books, don't you love audio books the way because you're not using your eyes to get the information suddenly your inner vision your imagination is free to be more visual and creative yes. you get a totally different experience yeah. I, I love that about audiobooks yeah yeah definitely i was i often find if i'm reading on a page i'll race through it as well whereas an audiobook you can speed it up but it's not it's not quite the same i i think i retain more by having to listen to it at their pace yeah, and you're free to create mental pictures, and mental pictures are things, yeah. images are things you remember much more than just facts. So I've spent the last two days <coughs> trying to write and gather resources for a website that we're launching, mentally-healthy.org. So, th so one of the things I've been looking at is how to spot signs in other people, because I find the things that often lead to burnout are like for, for many of the times actually it's because you're in the zone like yours like you're going you're going you're going you don't want to stop like you're on a roll um so th there's there's kind of two things i guess in this is like how can you start to perhaps recognize in yourself but actually how can you recognize in other people when they might be about to go through something like burnout or they might be able they might be exhibiting signs of um about to have a kind of an episode of poor mental health um, th two things there. So the first thing was about being in the zone. We've all had moments where we're in the zone. Um, and they're great moments. I, I feel sometimes we ride them a little too far mm. and we don't have faith in the fact that our mind will wander in and out of these phases that you can actually, I suppose, clock off for the night. You don't have to work till 2 a.m. Uh, that this, this creative phase will come back. Learn to trust the phase and learn to get, you know, to tap into your, these DMN moments that are going to yeah. get you inside. Yeah, it's the feeling, isn't it, that, you know, you, you want to get as much out of it as possible. But actually, it's probably good to finish on a high so that you can come back on a high rather than finish on a low. Yeah, and of course, the, the, your unconscious mind works all night long anyway when you're asleep. So, you, you know, you knock off for the night, you've got a head full of ideas, and the next morning, you know, there are more solutions and ideas in your head. You realise, my mind's been working all night long. Like, keep those seeds in there for longer and let them germinate. Um, and just have faith that, you know, it's not elusive, this creative moment. If you understand that we have these two mental networks and you can do activities to sort of de-stress and, and go into this creative mode, then you don't have to ride for all it's worth that zone moment that you're in. Because then you crash the next day, you're exhausted, you've, you've been up all night, you know, and when you add it all up at the end of the week, maybe what you gained that night, you lost the next day because you were too tired to work. Mm. So, you know, keeping it in check in a healthy sort of balance and trusting that you can access creativity at other times. Um, just quickly, your other point was, how do we recognise it in other people? I think this is really hard. I think this is a major challenge because no one really wants to have the conversations and ask the questions about how are you doing and you feeling stressed i mean everybody wants to put on their their best face and and look like they're on top of things at work so th this is a problem you know in all workplaces and not just in creative industries i guess um that's that's a really hard question we just need to get better and again this is one of those slow glacial change things we just need to get better at talking to our colleagues on a different level and just saying how are you coping are you finding this stressful i am are you under pressure you know, sometimes a little disclosure to start the conversation unlocks, them. oh, me too, I'm so stressed. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, it's sometimes confronting when people say, so how are you doing, are you coping? Like mm. that's kind of the wrong question. A little disclosure and then uh, sometimes I'm feeling so stressed. How are you dealing? Is this, this is really a lot of time pressure, isn't it? Start a conversation and we need to get used to just talking more about those, those issues. Because it's actually just normal, right? Like everyone goes through this. And I think there's a concern that by saying something you'll be judged um, and that you will maybe then if things get too serious not be given opportunities uh, not be put on different kinds of briefs like or, or actually just managed out of the business in some very extreme cases um, but it, it you know yeah I, I see as well a change coming and I think things will be a lot better in however many years time but there's still people kind of stuck in it right now and that, that's the I guess that's the bit that we'd love to try and help people who are going through it at this at this moment in time yeah and change will come slowly won't it but it is there you can see it mm, i think um it reminds me of one of the things that came out of the survey where it was kind of like would you want to disclose a mental health issue at work and i can't remember what the stat was but it was pretty low but then the flip side was would you judge someone else for disclosing mental health issues and it was the stat was no um, so sometimes it's good to remember that would you judge that person for saying something um, and if the answer is no then why would you think that that person might judge you um, which is very hard to do in the moment I accept but um, sometimes numbers help us uh, remember that yeah it's, it's definitely important to remember and I think I hate to say it, but maybe Brené Brown as well who would also as, you know, make the assumption that someone is going to respond well, that is doing their best, is you know actually a, a better person. Um, and so I think you know it's very easy to be judged. But we live in a world which is about judgment right now. You know, like stick a piece of work up online, it gets judged immediately, and you kind of want it to get judged, but only in a good way. <laughs> but in when it <laughs> when it gets judged in a bad way, it's crushing. Yeah. Um, and so that all adds to the pressure that we put upon ourselves um, and you know how do we get how, how do you manage and I think you, I'm sure social media must have come up in some of the work that you've been doing how do, should people cope with that better I'm not an expert on social media I can't tell you I don't have much of a social media presence um, I know um, it's quite hard to find stuff out about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, but I you know I know it, it, it can be incredibly difficult I know having two kids just finish high school in the last few years um, what enormous pressures some of those kids are under. And I suppose schools are doing a better job now of educating kids through those teenage years about, you know, social media and, 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 and uh, dealing with, uh, you know, stress and anxiety. And that slows, flows through to the demographics, you know, the, I suppose the 20-somethings that are now in the workforce and gradually there'll be this sort of bubbling through of the demographics of you know people who are hopefully more informed and better able to deal with social media and better able to respect anxiety and mental illness in people and 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 be more open about that. I feel like that this this the twenty somethings now are better at that than mm. when I was twenty something. Mm. You know, Absolutely. so there's some hope there. I think. I think we're probably about to wrap this up. Mm. So, if we finish on kind of a broader question, and for our listeners, the community that we have, creative community, interested in. Uh, mental health, the value of our design. And, um, 
where is the first place that you would recommend starting? Like, what's the first thing that you would say, go home, look at this? So this advice falls on deaf, deaf ears a lot. The benefits of mindfulness are so enormous. It's like mother's milk, you know, It's for the mind. It's just incredible. Uh, I, sus- I would recommend people, at a minimum, think about uh, going out and just having time off and looking at uh, the clouds or the trees, ha- having that, that time out, breaking up their routines. So even if you get the bus to work, get off two stops before and just walk the rest of the way and see new things. Try to encourage a sort of uh, curiosity and openness of mind because that leads to a kind of positivity. Um, and that's also great input for for creativity as well, just looking around and reminding yourself, I need to be curious. How do things work? Why is that there? How did that get there? How does this work? Um, that's that's great. You need to, to, to do that as a minimum. If you're up for it, I would say um, explore the world of mindfulness. Don't give up early. Try a few different people until you find a voice and a technique that you like because the, the benefits are enormous. The neuroscience is absolutely clear. It changes your brain in just a few weeks um, and... You know, once once you're onto that, and you don't do it every day. I mean, I'm here. I am advocating it. I try to do mindfulness or deep breathing every day. I don't. There are entire weeks when I don't. You know, and I've given up beating myself up about that. I I try to do it as best I can, and I forgive myself if I don't. And I'm I'm probably more tolerant and forgiving of other people too by being forgiving of myself for those sorts of things. So so yeah, just mm. at a minimum, relax and get out more and switch off. And if you're up for it, delve into the world of mindfulness because it really works. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anywhere that we can find out more about you? Can we follow you anywhere apart from around the grounds of the University of Sydney? Um, As I said, I don't have much of a social media presence. um, And most of my actual uh, uh, scientific research is on a slightly different topic. I've become very passionately interested in creativity and these two competing sort of neural networks now. And and I'm out there talking about that. Um, But, um, yeah, my research is mainly about how we encode vision and sound to represent the world in our brains. It's quite a a different thing, really. There is. It sounds incredibly interesting. It and I can see the link there from where you went from that into um, the creative modes of thinking. Yeah. Vis- the vision, the fact that we can see, is the most amazing thing in the universe. I mean, our, our brains are the most complex thing in the universe with nearly one quadrillion connections in there and 100 billion neurons. And vision is the most incredible thing it does. A third of the brain is involved just in seeing. And so just vision itself is a great marvel. I, I was reading one of your pieces last night around how I think maybe whether, whether you found it or whether you found it in another study, which was that um, we assume that because our eyes are open, we see every single moment, but actually it doesn't work like that. It's more like a strobe effect. And so not right. we don't see every moment. Is that right? That's Even, true. That's yeah. very true. This is all quite recent work yeah. showing that um, whether it's through your ears or your eyes, um, the world looks continuous, but we actually take a series of really rapid grabs, yeah. really rapid samples at about seven hertz. So you're taking about seven grabs a second. Yeah. And um, that's that's actually really new. We didn't know that until yeah. very recently. Which I guess is, I mean, that's how the technology works as well, right? It's just frame rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but w- what it means is if you, if you could dim the lights to the point where you're almost at the threshold of seeing, the world should actually just flicker on and off. As yeah, y- wow. you, d- you don't notice that... In, in bright light, but if you could dim it down to just the limits of vision, you would see the world flickering like one of those old black and white yeah. movies, and yeah. silent movies. Cool. 
Okay, well, um, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Andy and Sarah. And uh, as always, we um, are supported by Streamtime, so check out streamtime.net if you want help kind of managing your creative businesses um, with uh, award-winning project management software. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Another great episode. Yeah, this one was really enlightening. Thank you, David, for being here with us. And come join the Facebook group. Follow uh, Never Not Creative on the socials at NVR Not Creative. And check out mentally-healthy.org, which is our new hub from the Mentally Healthy Change Group uh, to try and help the industry tackle some of these uh, challenges that we have around mental health. We'll see you in two weeks. Mm-hmm.